I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello everybody, I'm Matt Parker. I'm Steve Mould. I'm Helen Arney and this is a podcast of unnecessary detail. Or is it? It is, but it is a different type of episode. This is one of three we're doing this series where we're going to bring you some of our favourite bits from our recent live shows, an evening of unnecessary detail. I can't believe it actually happened. We actually (laughs) did some live shows in front of actual people. Yay! It's been like... It's been more than two years, hasn't it? Yeah. The best part is we got to invite our favourite nerds and comedians. They came along. They told us all this stuff in immense detail. And we recorded that detail so we can put their stuff in this podcast. And oh my goodness, you were in for a treat. In this episode, we've got Dr. Rowan Francis on how the human body is a total disaster. Comedian Rosie Wilby on how breakups don't have to be a total disaster. As well as, of course, some performance maths from me yeah uh, i'm doing some well i suppose some people would call it maths as well some people <laughs> yeah, I'm, okay. I'm personally very suspicious <laughs> yeah yeah you should be uh l- let's start this episode with something from our very own experimental maestro he's in action he's live on stage it's steve Moulds. hey so uh i figured out how to hack into my car and I thought it would be a good idea to explain to 500 strangers uh, how I did it. And because uh, I'm parked just around the corner, uh, it's the NPC. I'm not going to tell you which numbered bay it is, though. So um, you can try and figure it out. Uh, so, yeah, it's interesting. And by the way, it's not one of these fancy cars where you can unlock it with your phone. Um, it's just, it's a 2007 um, <laughs> Mini Cooper. There you go, there it is. Um, see, I've blanked out the number plate. <laughs> Very savvy. Um, I mean, the fact that I left the top down, it sort of makes the whole thing a bit mute. But uh, <laughs> Matt does have one of those fancy cars where you can unlock it with your phone. Uh, he's got a Tesla. It's all over Bluetooth. Um, <laughs> So yeah, no. The way the way my car unlocks is with the the key, um, and so you press the button and it unlocks. Uh, they, like it's not you know it's not connected to the internet. It doesn't have Bluetooth. It's, and surprisingly, the way this works, it's I mean maybe it shouldn't be surprising, but it's a radio. This is a radio transmitter, and uh, so I thought what I'll do is I'll buy one of these things. This is called a, a Hackr F1. Uh, it's a software-defined radio. That means you plug it into a computer and you use software to control the radio, like instead of knobs that you would use with a traditional uh, radio. So you can use software to set the 
frequency that you want to listen to, and you can record and things like that. So we're going to try and do this uh, live uh, on stage. Uh, right, so this is the aerial here, so I'm going to, I'll, press, I'll press record, uh, and then I'll press the button, and then I'll press stop. Let me see if this works. Hold on. I'm going to try something really technical. <laughs> Do you know what? <laughs> I'm so glad it made a noise, just because it really worked for the gag, didn't it? If it was just... <laughs> um, let's try again. So I'll... <laughs> it's not going to work with that. Hold on, that's... Maybe it would, I don't know. Um... No, that's not it. <laughs> Do you know what? I just wanted to enjoy the moment. <laughs> um, Would it I... help if everyone who's got their keys with them pushes the button at the same time? <laughs> um, do you know what I'll do? Um, I'm just going to um, open uh, a saved one <laughs> uh, that, I, that I recorded earlier today. Uh, here we go. So, um, there. So, right, go away. <laughs> um, so, this is, um, this is the little bit that I recorded. Let's zoom in. Oh, okay, there we go. So, if I zoom right in, look, it's sending like a little beep. <laughs> and then it doesn't send a beep. And then, like, it sends a beep and then it doesn't send a beep. And it's like, so it's either on or off, basically. It's like uh, binary. It would be like if you could hear it, it would be like a fax machine or, or like dial-up modem. When it, but, but, but really short, it would be like, like that. And if you look at it, let's zoom back out again, it, you can see it sends the same message uh, five times. So if you like, took this bit here, so it's basically binary, ones and zeros. It uses something called Manchester encoding, so it's not exactly like uh, on is one and off is zero, but it's basically binary. The, the details of the encoding don't matter because what I can do is I can take that message from the key and then I can replay it because this um, software-defined radio is also a transmitter. So you can use it to transmit. So what I can do is I can press the button, record the thing, and then go with my laptop and the, uh, the radio to my car and play it and it, the car should unlock. Except it's not quite that simple. Like... In the old days, it was that simple. Um, like, in the old days, basically, every car had a unique code in your key, and it would transmit that code, but it would only match one car, and that car would unlock. The issue is that this method is vulnerable to something called a replay attack. So for a replay attack, what you do is you hide in the corner of the car park, like in the dark, with your laptop, and you've got your hoodie up because you're a hacker. And like for some reason that your laptop screen is like projecting the code onto your face. No one knows why, but it's what happens uh, when you're a hacker. So what they do is they'll, they'll, uh, they're hiding in the car park. They're recording your car key clicks. And then they'll pick one of you and they'll follow you home. <laughs> and then they'll wait till you've gone to sleep, and, which sounds creepy, because uh, it is, they're trying to break into your car, um, and then they'll just, they'll replay one of the car keys that they recorded, and it'll line up your car, and they'll steal your purse. Um, 
So cars don't work like that anymore. Instead, um, they use something called uh, rolling codes, which basically means like inside your car key, there's a list of codes. And in the car, there's the same list of codes. Uh, like at this point, Matt's getting really excited by the idea that there's a spreadsheet inside his car key. Um, like in reality, it's probably not exactly like that. Like instead, it's going to be, instead of a list, it's going to be like an algorithm that generates the codes and it's a secret algorithm shared between the car and the computer. But essentially, it's a list. So you press the button, it sends the first code in the list to the car. That matches the first code in the car, so the car unlocks. And then crucially, that code is now dead, right? So if someone tried to replay that code, the car is not interested in that code anymore. It's onto the next code in the list. And so, and it, and, and so it, you know, both the key and the car just go down the list uh, like this, uh, crossing them off as they go. At this point, you might be thinking, well, hold on a second. What if I'm sat at home, out of range of my car, and I'm just play, playing with my car key like it's a fidget toy, so you're just pressing the buttons? Because then you're going to... The car key is going to be further down the list than the car. You're going to be out of sync. Uh, and that's true. So what the car does, actually, is it check, if it receives a signal from a car key, it checks the first code on the list. If that doesn't work, it checks the next one and the next one and the next one. And it keeps going for quite a while, just in case you've been playing with your car key. But it doesn't keep going forever. <laughs> so like, if you are playing with your car key outside of the range of your car, you're basically playing Russian roulette. <laughs> if you go too far, eventually it will come out of sync. Uh, and it, you can't use the car key. Though, interestingly, uh, there's a resync process. Like for my Mini, which I had to learn. <laughs> but you, have, you, you put the key in the ignition, you have to turn it to a position, and then another position, and then you take it out, and you press a sequence of buttons. Amazingly, and it resyncs the two spreadsheets. It's amazing. Not spreadsheets. Not spreadsheets. Um, and so this is much harder uh, to attack with uh, a replay. Like, for this to work, you would have to be with someone when they're not near their car and somehow persuade them to press the unlock button on their key, like you make with social engineering or something, like, all right, mate, uh, can you press the button? I, I, don't know, I, I, don't know, I don't know how social engineering works, but it's something like that. Um, or, you know, maybe you could have a party where people put their car keys in a bowl. I don't know. Um, that might have unintended consequences. I don't know. But, um, interestingly, so there's a, a, a security researcher called Sammy Kamkar came up with a way to hack into cars that use this rolling code system. And it's really clever. So the way it works is... Um, so the car is listening to quite a, a, a wide range of frequencies because car keys, uh, you know, the temperature changes, the battery changes, the frequency isn't going to be uh, exact on a car key. So the car has to listen to a wide range of frequencies. Um, so, you know, the car key uh, itself might be like this frequency. So what you do is you jam a nearby frequency. So you send out a frequency that was within the range of the car, but isn't the key frequency. And that basically deafens the car. It can't hear anything because you're jamming it with this nearby signal. But at the same time, you're listening to the car key frequency, the specific car key frequency. So this might be a device that you attach to the car, right? And so the, the victim comes along, uh, uh, and they try to unlock their car. They press the unlock button. 
but it doesn't work. The car can't hear it because it's being jammed, but you're listening in with uh, your device. It records the unlock code, and the victim's like, oh, that didn't work. I'll try again. <laughs> so they press the button again. The, the device records the second press, but sends the first press to the car to unlock the car. So the victim's like, oh, it worked. That was weird. And they drive off. So you're always one key code ahead of the user because you've, you've buffered it, basically. And uh, so I was talking to Sammy uh, Kamkar about it, like, could we do it with my Mini? <laughs> um, the, the issue is, like, the last thing someone does with their car before you want to ha you know, break into it is they lock it like that. So the last code that you have in your device is a lock code. So you need to reverse engineer that into an unlock code for, the, for this roll jam attack to work. And it looks like the, the Mini, or the 2007 Mini Cooper uh, cream, um, can, <laughs> is not susceptible to a roll jam attack because you, you can't reverse engineer a, a lock code into an unlock code. But what I was able to do was uh, <laughs> like do the replay attack on myself. <laughs> so I was you know, unsuspecting me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sitting in my uh, sitting in my house, playing with my car key, and there was evil me with the laptop <laughs> recording the key presses. And I'll just show you the result because I'm I'm very happy with it. Yes, <laughs> that's so good. I'm in my car. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Thanks very much. I'm in my car. Thank you. <laughs> So there you are. We were able to definitely prove that was live on stage, thanks to Steve Mould, making sure that strategically some things went wrong. <laughs> and, and, and traditionally. Yeah, a lot of things. <laughs> my, 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 my performances at Evening of an Essay Detail tend to have a thing go wrong, and it's genuinely not planned. What's interesting is a lot of the things that went wrong were just edited out of this podcast episode. <laughs> you cannot fake that kind of reality. That, <laughs> you can't That's how it, it was. <laughs> <laughs> but Steve's thing, uh, well, things weren't the only things that have gone wrong with this show uh, because <laughs> these shows happened in April 2022 at the Bloomsbury Theatre in London. But they were first scheduled for July 2020. <laughs> Oof. Actually, some of our wow. most patient fans had tickets since August 2019. <laughs> They're the early adopters. That's what we call them. We appreciate you waiting for two and a half years. It's, it's mad. I, I got this tweet from someone who told me that they had to suddenly buy two more tickets for these shows because in 2019, when they bought their first two tickets, their kids weren't old enough to bring along. But by the time we got to April 2022, they were old enough and didn't need a babysitter and they could Amazing. just bring them along. It's like bringing families together. And because their kids, you know, had long enough to age into the show, they were also able to enjoy, just doing a segue here, folks, one of the people we invited to share their opinions about the human body. You might have seen him on YouTube where he goes by Medlife Crisis. Yes, it's an actual real-life cardiologist in real life on stage. It's Rohin Francis. Isn't the human body amazing? <laughs> Billions and billions of cells. The wonder of DNA. The miracle of you. No, no, take it from me, people. The human body is an absolute mess. All of you here today, 
C-minus, at best, could definitely do a lot better. <laughs> Something happened recently, it happens every year actually, uh, the latest generation of sacrificial morons um, did something particularly idiotic. They gained a place at medical school to become doctors. Something I did two decades ago and have been regretting it ever since. And at the interview, they always ask a question, why do you want to do medicine? And people trot out the same unimaginative drivel every time. Two reasons. Number one, I want to help people. Number two, because I'm fascinated by the amazing human body. Now, I think anyone who knows me could have told you that the first one never really applied. But the second one I've also been, been learning is complete lies. Because the human body is a collection of all kinds of mistakes. And if I was going to tell you all of them, would be here for days. So I'm just going to give you a little sample today in a segment that I like to call parts of the body that are <laughs> but aren't actually d Well, while we're on the subject of small appendages, why don't we start with the, the most famous one that is probably responsible for more death and illness than any other apparently redundant little pocket of tissue. You know what I'm talking about. Of course, it's the left atrial appendage. <laughs> well, you thought I was going to say the appendix. <laughs> I mean, the appendix gets all the headlines, but frankly is a rank amateur when it comes to the fine art of doing harm to its owner compared to the left atrial appendage. I mean... I'm not saying the appendix is innocent, it's clearly a d I mean, imagine this coming at you in a dark alley outside the Bloomsbury <laughs> Theatre. But it, it really is an amateur compared to the left atrial appendage. Uh, because appendicitis these days, you know, it's rarely fatal, it's easily treated. Often we don't even need to do surgery anymore. But the left atrial appendage uh, is responsible for one quarter of all strokes. So its impact is much bigger. And... It does this by, it's a little finger-like structure coming off the left atrium in the heart rather than anything to do with the bowel. And if people go into an irregular heart rhythm, which is quite common as we get older, blood inside the left atrial appendage kind of starts acting a bit like a, a teenager. It sort of sits around doing sod all for a while, solidifies into a blood clot, and then one day says, Mum, I want to go and see the world. I've heard about this fantastic tourist attraction that I really want to see called the brain. And it packs its bags, heads out the door, and before you know it, you're paralyzed down your left side. <laughs> and cardiologists like me, we like to talk about the appendage, we obsess over it, we talk about its crenellations, its lobes, its orifice, and we classify it, and these are all real classifications, uh, into cauliflower, cactus, windsock, <laughs> and chicken wing. <laughs> We'd probably get more excited about the appendage than, than anybody else does about any appendage. Whereas the appendix probably gets a bit of a bad rap because the appendix, we think, actually has a role in repopulating the microbiome of the bowel, if you believe in such conspiracy theories. And uh, so if you get a diarrheal illness, which obviously humans have done throughout our history... Um, in the past, I guess it would have typically been due to unsanitary conditions, contaminated water. Nowadays, probably more likely a TikTok laxative challenge. <laughs> and th this can uh, deplete the bowel of its bacteria. And we think that the appendix acts like a reservoir of good bacteria, good guy appendix repopulating the bowel. But the left atrial appendage doesn't seem to have any function that we know of at all. So I think it's far worse. And if you're getting confused 
that the human body has quite a few appendages, both inside and out, but only one appendix. Just remember, it has to come from the cecal region of the bowel to be called an appendix, otherwise it is just a sparkling protuberance. <laughs> colds. I mean, humans get colds a lot more than other animals, as you probably noticed. And while we share a lot of our shortcomings with our primate cousins, this is one area where we're quite unique because our facial bones are pretty different. And this occurred over evolution, if you believe in that conspiracy theory. And um, the, our brains got bigger, we became less dependent on our sense of smell, and this had a catastrophic effect on the drainage configuration of our sinuses. Plus, they look terrifying. But, um, <laughs> So the, the sinuses up here drain using a phenomenon that I'm pretty sure has been present for the majority of human evolution, which is gravity. And, but the maxillary sinuses here, which are the biggest, the biggest snot capacity, decided I'm going to be, we're going to be different. We're going to drain upwards. So we are effectively the apple mouse of uh, na nasal st structures. And, I mean, maybe that's not the most apt analogy, because you might think we're a bit more like a little teapot. If you tip yourself up, you can pour yourself out. But the problem is, with the way that uh, the sinuses are arranged, if you tip one side, it's just going to fill the other. And even if you stand on your head, it'll fill the, uh, the sinuses at the top. So, in effect, you're just trapped in a never-ending cycle of snot redistribution. <laughs> so, we're more like a, a lava lamp. <laughs> There are lots of other shortcomings I'm sure you've heard of. I'll just whiz through a few. Our backs are basically made from baguettes and discarded pogs. <laughs> Our knees are held together with uh, an elastic band from Sainsbury's deli counter. <laughs> Our heads are famously too big for our mother's pelvises, meaning that hundreds of thousands of humans through history's first act has been matricide, which is particularly <laughs> Particularly foolish when you think about mammals, very defining feature being what mothers do after giving birth. So this is quite a spectacular fail. And, of course, our wrists and ankles are a complete bodge of dried pieces of toast crust and a handful of Lego people. Well, probably not a handful, because the hand hadn't fully evolved yet. But irrespective, all of these problems can probably go under the subheading of bipedalism, which I think we can all agree was a mistake. <laughs> now, a lot of people hold up these shortcomings as evidence that there's no creator, that uh, there's nothing intelligent about this design. But have any of you rampant evolutionists ever stopped to consider that maybe there is a god? <laughs> and he's just a complete moron. Thanks very much. Rohin Francis there and he's got a whole YouTube channel of medicine stuff from CPR in space to I mean just go and find him he's Medlife Crisis on YouTube and social media I think he's actually put that whole set that he did for us at unnecessary detail he's put it on his channel as a video as well so if you want to see what a left atrial appendage actually looks like and whether it looks like what he says it looks like uh, you can head over there um <laughs> if if his comparison wasn't graphic enough for you um just, just in <laughs> you said left version. atrial appendage really slowly there helen like you were reading it <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's because i was really worried about saying it wrong and just saying <laughs> 
instead. <laughs> Thank goodness we still had that bleep handy. So anyway, speaking of graphical content, I don't think we've had enough maths in this podcast yet. I think we're fine, actually. Honestly, yeah, Matt, we're I think right. we're good. I think yeah. you're wrong. Look, if we don't do it now, we just have to have more of it later, Steve. We should just let him do it. <sighs> fine. Do you want a proper introduction then? That'd be nice, actually, because what people may not realise is I'm on stage all night in the live shows doing all the intros, but I can't do my own intro because I'm already on stage, so I kind of missed out, which, you know, a bit disappointing. So if you could do one, Steve, that'd be great. All right, so I'll pretend I'm at the live show. Um, Right. People of the Bloomsbury Theatre, put your hands together and welcome to the stage, even though he's been there the whole time. (laughs) You might not have had enough of him already. It's Matt Parker! So I actually uh, get to show you something that I think is a a due amount of detail. Some would say unnecessary. I think uh, deeply, deeply interesting. And I want to start with a seemingly, um, seemingly bizarre fun fact. Did you know? In Switzerland, trains are not allowed to have exactly 256 axles. Amazing. And now, there are two responses when you see that. Some people look at it and they're like, what? What? Why? Why can't, why, why 256? And other people look at it and go, ah, 256. My old friend. Because <laughs> there are so many things in computing that either stop or break at 256. Some of you may know them. I may go through some of your favorites in a moment, right? So, for example, Minecraft. Um, Minecraft, you, well, they've updated this. For a long time, you couldn't build anything more than 256 blocks high. It would just stop. WhatsApp, you cannot add more than 256 people to the same group chat. You try to add 257th person, it just won't let you. They used, it used to be 100, actually, and they updated it a couple of years ago. And when they did, The Independent ran a news story which said something like, uh, WhatsApp increases group chat to 256 people. No one is sure why they picked such an oddly specific <laughs> number. And then in the online version, almost immediately appeared, edit, a lot of people <laughs> have now told us why. Please stop. Right. Right? It's because of the way computers count, right? Which is different to how humans count. But we have the same situation can occur in, in, in both scenarios. So actually, the way humans count, I've got a physical version of that right here. So I've got one of these uh, physical uh, counters where as you go along, you push it and uh, it goes up by one. And when you get to nine on the end there, right, then the next time I push it, the nine becomes a zero and the other one rolls over and it carries on. Oh, by the way, I originally just bought this as a prop to talk about this. It is strangely addictive. Uh, I've been walking around the house counting all sorts of things. Uh, my wife has asked me to stop counting things 40 times. 41 times. That's a joke, by the way. She's very supportive. Um, now, if you spend a really long time clicking these, you can end up with a situation that looks... There we go, on the second one here. Uh, so, uh, for the record, I've just pulled out a second counter, which is on 9,991, and despite the implied effort, the audience appear deeply underwhelmed. (laughs) Invested a lot of time in this bit. So now we're going to click up and we're going to see what happens when we get to all nines. Here we go. Two, three, four. I can feel the pressure. Here we go. Five, six, seven, eight. Oh, by the way, if you you committed to the ooh too early. I was just going to say, if you miss it when it happens, just look to your right very quickly. Okay. 
we go. Stop doing visual guy. Okay, here we go. Five thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. Oh, yeah. Thank you. For continuity purposes. Zero. That's that's the biggest round of applause I get tonight. Okay, so once you've gone all the way up to nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine, then it rolls over. So it, it goes to the next one. And so, uh, what would happen if you were using this to count? Like, if you were counting people, like going into a venue or something, right? So you often see bouncers have these, and they'd be like, "Okay, in you go. Ah, oh, there's nine thousand nine hundred ninety-eight people in the club. In you go, nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. In you go, zero. Huh? There's no one in there. We must have let in some anti people. Oh well." One, right? And so, very briefly, you've got a zero reading when you shouldn't. And actually, all the values after that are um, they're non-zero. So if you just care about if there's people in there or not, you're okay. But on that click, you get zero. And so we can say, on this counter, which I've got up here, uh, you've got four possible values that can be any of the ten digits. This maxes out at 9,999, and because there's only a finite number of them, when you click it one more, instead of 10,000, you get zero. So 10,000 is equivalent to zero in this system. This is what was happening on the Swiss railways, except they weren't using uh, four possible values, they were using eight, and they weren't doing this in base 10, they were doing it in binary. And so if you count all the way up in binary, eventually you hit all ones, at which point you can't go any further, and that is the equivalent of 255. Here we go. Now, you click it one more time, rolls over to zero, which should be 256, but it's not, it's zero. So th that's where 256 comes from, it's two to the power of eight. So well, as soon as you hit this, right, you, you get zero. So like, in Switzerland, on the train lines, they had like a counter. And each time a wheel hits the counter, it would count one. And as the train goes by, it counts the number of axles. And these detectors would then inform the central system where all the trains were. But if a train had 256 axles exactly, as it goes by, it would be counting like click, 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 one, two, one, two, zero. Huh. I guess that wasn't a train then. <laughs> I won't tell anybody. Uh, and then there's a train with 256 axles can just roam the Swiss network like some kind of ghost train, um, which is apparently ill-advised. And so they, they fix the problem. However, this is great, because normally if you've got like a hardware issue, like not enough memory or something, you can fix that in software. It becomes a software developer's problem. And, uh, and that's what they did for a long time in Minecraft. They just capped it. You just couldn't build further. It's what they still do in WhatsApp. They just won't let you do it, right? A hardware issue is solved with a software solution. In Switzerland, they didn't do that. No, they just introduced a regulation saying it's against the rules. <laughs> and they're like, well, now it's against the rules. Now no one will ever do it. It's the first ever hardware problem solved with an admin solution. <laughs> it's fine, we've got a regulation patch. That'll, that'll fix that, right? And there you go. Uh, I don't speak enough Swiss German to know if that rules out a train with 512 axles. Oh, doesn't? Did someone else say it does? It does not. Really? Ah, loophole time. Okay. <laughs> I'm uh, starting a Kickstarter. <laughs> right, so, so is that amazing? Right? That is, that, I had to look it up. I saw this online. I looked it up, and it's absolutely true, and that is what happened. And I got really obsessed with these examples of where 256 would cause a problem. And one of the famous ones uh, is in Pac-Man. So Pac-Man crashes on the 256th Level. What an oddly specific number. Uh, it's because in the memory, it's keeping track of the level it's on, 
with an eight-digit binary number. However, it's not the level number that causes a problem. Once it gets to level 256 in the memory, it's zero, and you're fine. Just, you, you just carry on playing. What breaks is printing the fruit at the bottom. It's the decoration that causes the problem. That, that's why we don't believe in frills around here, right? And so what, what actually happens when you're playing Pac-Man, as you go through the levels, each level uh, has a different fruit that you can collect. And the, as you go down the kind of uh, uh, menu of fruit, uh, the, well, the word fruit becomes less and less accurate. Um, and, and they appear at the bottom of the game as you go along, up until uh, level seven. After level seven, it just shows the most seven recent bits of fruit. So in the game code, when you're on level 256, it thinks you're on level zero, and if it was bigger than seven, it'll print seven. Below seven, it prints as many bits of fruit as the level number. You're like, well, that's fine. This is going to print zero bits of fruit. Ah, doesn't, it doesn't check the number. It prints fruit first asks questions later. <laughs> so what it does is, first of all, it prints one bit of fruit, then without looking at the level number, subtracts one, and then checks to see if it's zero. Try not to skip ahead to the punchline. Uh, I mean, technically, all my jokes can be deduced from first principles. It's considered bad audience etiquette. Um, and, so, right, and so the reason they were laughing already is because if you go up to 255, you look back down to zero. The reverse happens. You go down from zero, you go back up to 255. So it would print a bit of fruit, subtract one, go, oh, 255, my goodness. Print another bit of fruit, subtract one. Print, subtract, print, subtract. And it would print 256 bits of fruit. If the two lines in the code had been the other way around, oh, this, I very much paraphrased. Not the actual code. Um, if they uh, had that the other way around, it would have worked. But it didn't because of this. Right? So you hit the level, uh, and it breaks. It prints fruit across the bottom. It prints across it again. It happens to blank out some sections. And because the original arcade machines were a uh, CRT screen installed sideways, the coordinate system actually starts... Uh, top right, but it thinks it's top left, and that going down this way is like scanning across the top left, um, left to right, but the whole thing's mounted in sideways. And it just starts printing the next bit of memory, right? So it goes through the entire uh, table of fruit, it then just gets the next bit of binary, interprets it as if it's a bit of fruit, puts it on the screen. Next bit, puts it on the screen. And obviously you can see it goes through like letters and other stuff that are stored in the memory. By complete accident, it does print... No! <laughs> Sometimes the universe giveth. Right, uh, and then you can never finish this level. Because when you start playing it, the, the game, like the levels don't end when you've eaten all the dots that are on the screen. It actually counts up for the number of dots. And it doesn't stop until you've eaten the number of dots equivalent to what they were at the beginning. Except now half of them have been obliterated by the fruit. So you can't play this level. You're, just, you're doomed to wander the post-apocalyptic wasteland. Um, <laughs> but oh, uh, on the upside, you can now go off the bottom and come back on the top. Proving that the Pac-Man universe is toroidal. I know, that was bothering a lot of us. Um, uh, and then that's it. And then they never fixed it. They just, originally, the game was just meant to loop back to the beginning, right? Because the programmers didn't think anyone would ever get there. Deeply underestimated how much people were going to play these new video games. Right? Uh, and, then, and when this was pointed out, they're like, ah, we're just going to leave it. We're not going to fix it. Um, and that's it. That's now the end of the game. You can play right through, uh, and it just crashes, and you wander around to, you get bored, and that's the end of it. And that, there's another famous game that this happened to. And so this was a game called Civilization that came out in the early 90s. And in it, you play as a world leader, and you play against other world leaders from history to see who can have the best civilization. And one of them was Gandhi. And people noticed very early on, Gandhi 
surprisingly nuke happy. Now, the reason for this, now, since, since I, because I wrote a book called Humble Pie, uh, a comedy of maths errors, and I put this story in there, right? Since then, one of the people who worked on it, one of the, the lead guy, came out and said, this is urban legend, not in there. Other programmers say it is. So at the moment, I don't know, uh, and I haven't bothered looking it up, because if, if it's not true, I've got to change the book. So the book is in a superposition state as we speak. Uh, so so the, the, the story as it goes, allegedly, is when they were programming this, they gave all the different world leaders an aggression rating, which they were using an eight-digit binary number. And uh, they gave Gandhi the lowest possible non-zero amount of aggression, like one. But then, when you get to the nuclear age, they reduced everyone's aggression by two points. <laughs> now Gandhi went from one to zero to the maximum possible value. Nuclear tie, right? And then, when this was pointed out, did they fix it? No. They went all Pac-Man on it. They left it in. In fact, allegedly, they've deliberately put this into every game since. <laughs> Tens of millions of copies have been sold over three decades now, which means there's a generation of young people who don't associate Gandhi with peaceful resistance. They associate him with an unprovoked nuclear strike. Right? And, uh, oh, and if anyone has more information on that... There's no way I can find the source code. It's, uh, anyway, uh, apparently reverse engineering it, not a straightforward process. Um, so if anyone's got more information about that, uh, do see me afterwards. But other than that, that's my bit about 256 and things going wrong. Thank you very much. I'm getting the feeling that things going wrong might be the main theme of these shows. That's a good point. But some of us talk about things going wrong for other people. And some of us have things going wrong happen to us. What are you trying to say? Not naming names. Matt, Matt, um, do you want to plug the night where yeah. you're recording the live version of Humble Pie for the people to download? Oh, well, yeah. Well, I would, um, except it occurred in the past. So oh. um, as we speak, it's being edited. And if people want to see it, I'm going to release. This is like the full stand-up special that the bit about the 256 was from. And uh, you can go to my website, standupmaths.com. And you can either get it or you can pre-order it for all your mathematical disaster needs. I mean, that was probably one of the more blatant plugs we've ever had on this podcast. And we've had a lot. Oh, I thank you. If you think that was blatant, wait until you hear these messages from our sponsor. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, time for the final guest of this episode. It's the comedian behind hit podcast, The Breakup Monologues, and recent book by the same name. It's good. You should buy it. It's really good. She's here to answer the question, is monogamy dead? But in more detail than ever before, it's Rosie Wilby. So I would like to tell you, just before we get into monogamy, I'd like to tell you where the inspiration for my new book, The Breakup Monologues, came from. And that was a few years ago when I got dumped by email. What do we think about that? I did feel much better about it, though, once I'd corrected her spelling. (laughs) And changed the font. (laughs) Breakup in wingdings is uh, far preferable. (laughs) I think you'll find. So, yes, uh, this came after my first book, which was called Is Monogamy Dead? And that was inspired when I heard that in many surveys, around 50% of people confess to cheating. And that got me thinking, if you are in a monogamous relationship and you're not cheating, (laughs) better look closely at your partner, because simple math says it has got to be them. (laughs) Cheer if you are in relationships. Yes, I love watching the body language between people who are together, you know, especially if you see a couple where one of them is shorter than the other. I find myself fascinated and thinking, how did they get together? Did their eyes meet across a seesaw? (laughs) And height difference is scientifically interesting. I don't know if you know this, because men often go for a woman who's shorter, women go for a man who's taller, evens out in heterosexual relationships. But did you know in the gay world, these desires that men and women have for a taller or shorter partner actually carry over? And it's quite hard for a short lesbian like me to catch you, I have a slightly taller lesbian because she's looking for taller lesbian than that, and it carries on and on (laughs) in an endless spiral. And in some ways, it's quite good two gay people can't actually create a baby together because, think about it, runaway evolutionary theory would mean that lesbians would evolve and get taller and taller and taller and taller and taller and taller and taller. Gay men would get shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter until we couldn't possibly all coexist in the same society, could we? It would be ridiculous. People would be like, oh, the lesbians are coming, run away. They're going to crush us with their giant Dr. Martin boots. Pick up that little teeny tiny gay man. He can't run very fast. With those tiny legs. 
So although I am a mere silly comedian, I do fancy myself as a bit of a sex researcher, a bit like these two, Masters and Johnson, who among many discoveries were the, f the first people to tell us that for a woman to have an orgasm, a penis was not necessary. Yes, a discovery that I think she looks slightly happier about. <laughs> Ban him. So I decided that I wanted to make my own discoveries. So I conducted my own survey of just 100 people, because that's how many you can do for free. And I wanted to find out what sort of relationships people are having these days on a sort of monogamy and polyamory spectrum. So I had most of my respondents defined as monogamous. Cheer if you're monogamous. And we've changed the meaning of it now, haven't we, really? From the original Greek, monos, gamos, one marriage for life. And now we sort of mean one marriage at a time. <laughs> sort of more serially monogamous, aren't we? And there were lots of people who'd responded to the survey who were polyamorous as well, having multiple ethically declared consensual relationships. Give me a cheer if you're polyamorous. Yes, they're always at the back. Uh, <laughs> They're very busy. They, they had to sneak in late. There's got so many partners. No, but I, I love all the things that I've learned from my poly friends about the sort of honesty and respect, and also the idea that we are creating new language to recognise the fact that we have these new relationship forms, not necessarily these designated scripts about how we have to have a relationship. And my favourite new term is if you feel you've reached your threshold of partners, you can say that you're polysaturated. <laughs> it's really interesting because um, some of the other people that had responded to my survey were in an open relationship. And this was a kind of relationship structure quite familiar to me because a lot of my gay male friends tend to have a primary partnership and then perhaps a looser sexual arrangement outside of that. And if you do look at uh, studies about behaviours in different groups of people, you do often see gay men reporting the most sexual activity outside of a primary partnership and lesbians reporting the least. But the problem with that is that lesbians do tend to break up much more frequently as evidenced by the uh, civil partnership dissolution figures here. And so perhaps it means that we reveal something about female sexuality. Maybe women are not the sort of guardians of long-term monogamy that culturally we perhaps think they are. And that was uh, one of the key messages of a book that I read a few years ago. And it's by a chap called Daniel Bergner called What Do Women Want? Because, of course, we do need a man to tell us. <laughs> so I decided that maybe... My version of monogamy and relationships and love and everything I'd been taught about those things was actually full of kind of assumptions and secrets and lies. So I decided to ask my survey respondents what other secrets they kept from each other. And my favorite one of these was the uh, third one down. <laughs> Giving yourself the best portion of food. Cheer if you do that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So if you do want to choose monogamy, and I believe that you can much more happily choose something if you feel you can actively do so, knowing there are other choices and you can embrace it, not feeling like it's just this cultural default and the only way we can have relationships. But if you do want to choose monogamy, you have to answer the final question on my survey, which was, 
in a monogamous relationship? What counts as cheating? And we'll just whiz through these responses really quickly. Um, and the majority of people, perhaps not surprisingly, did select having sex with someone else. But I mean, that's ambiguous. That's woolly, isn't it? I mean, we're not all Bill Clinton. One person had actually written in the uh, comments box, in a car. <laughs> I like that. It makes a difference. I don't know. And then, not surprisingly, close behind that came kissing somebody else. Cheer if you think kissing still counts as cheating. Yes, quite a few people, especially in this front section here. Uh, my favourite line in The Joy of Sex actually comes in the chapter about kissing. And it says, a good mouth-to-mouth -mouth kiss should leave its recipient breathless, but not asphyxiated. <laughs> and then we had a sort of more emotional spectrum of monogamy, falling in love with somebody else. Um, text or email flirting sort of comes under the banner of micro-cheating nowadays. Staying up all night talking to somebody was 31%. And then we had masturbating. I thought, oh, come on. <sighs> Uh, fantasizing about somebody else and looking at porn alone. I had to once do a child-friendly uh, version of this talk, if you can imagine such a thing. <laughs> and the organizer had changed that slide to looking at naughty pictures, sometimes moving. <laughs> and everyone thought that was like moving emotionally, uh, like had a really emotional story. Thank you so much. And uh, well... I love you lots and whatever love is. It's, it's obviously not exclusive because there's a, a lot of you. Uh, but see, see you all in the interval. Thank you very much. Rosie Wilby, everyone. So there you are. And if you're looking for more about Rosie's breakup monologues in podcast or book form, paperback out soon, we'll put links to all of that in the show notes. And if you're near Brighton, she's doing a big breakup monologue show on the 22nd of May 2022 at the Brighton Spiegel Tent. Links in the show notes as well. Yeah, if you're listening to this in the future and you have missed that date, I'm very sorry about that. But don't worry, she's doing live shows and live versions of the podcast all the time. Uh, we've put her Twitter and Instagram links on the show notes or just, you know, go find her. You, you're good at this kind of stuff. So there you go. That's the end of the show. And Yeah, it's uh... not quite the end of the show um that was the last oh. guest but there's still one song uh you know the one that i wrote specially for matt just just to annoy him love this love this song yeah so much i mean it was special yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right um so to give you a bit of background on the first night i got someone to hold matt down in the green room while i went on stage and started the second half before he realized what was happening I should have been suspicious when someone seemed very interested to hear about my coffee-making ritual in the yeah. end. <laughs> yeah. I know how to keep Matt in a room. Um, and I played a song that I wrote specially for him. And uh, we're going to play the recording now. Uh, Behold, a new song to the tune of Tom Lehrer's Elements, which is in itself written to the tune uh, by Arthur Sullivan. These are all the details you need to know. May I present the numbers from 1 to 50 in rhyming order. There's 17, 28, 36, 34, 47, 33, count the hours, 24. 38, 45, 29 and 43, 7, 8, 16, magic number, yes it's 3. 41, 13, 27, 35, 23, 15, Johnny says he's 5 alive, 19, 26, 31 and 22. Are people cheering on their favourite numbers? <
did Matt set you up to this? <laughs> 46, 14, all the answers, 42. La, 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 la. There's 44, 25, 37, 37, 39, 32, 48, legs 11, 49, 2 and 4 and 6 and 9 and 18, 12 and 21, 50, 40, 30, 20, 10 and ends with number 1. Thank you, Thank you, oh, uh, Hamdanis. Thanks for your applause. I cannot claim to be a hero. If Matt was here, he'd make me do it all again, but start from zero. La 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 Thank you very much. Proving conclusively that rhyming order is the best order. And that's it for this podcast episode. We're all wrapped up and put a bow on it. There you go. Uh, for the record, it is important what grind size your coffee is in a cafetiere versus an aeropress. Oh right, so we're back to the regular up. format next week. So make sure you stick around. And to aid you in that, subscribe in whatever podcast app or system you use. And that way, you'll get our episodes as soon as they're out. And in the meantime, if you want more detail about anything you've heard in this episode, links to the acts, free download of my numerical elements song, which can be used to taunt any mathematicians in your life. Uh, You can find all that in the show notes linked in the podcast description or over at festivalofthespokennerd.com slash podcast. And in case we haven't brought it up previously, this, a podcast of necessary detail, is part of the Acast Creator Network. And if you want to get in touch, we're on all the social medias and we're on podcast at festivalofthespokennerd.com. Bye. Bye. That's it for now. Bye. A podcast of unnecessary detail is made by Festival of the Spoken Nerd. That's Helen Arney, Steve Mould and Matt Parker. Our series producer is Lindsay Fenner, who also produced this episode. Our theme music is by Howard Carter, and we are proud to be part of the Acast Creator Network. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.